It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. My guest today has quite an extensive background in education. A former teacher, head of department, and educational researcher, he currently serves as the head of education at BTS Spark North America, a not-for-profit practice focusing on developing the next generation of school leaders. He is a social and emotional learning expert for NBC Today, an advisory member for the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development's Future of Education and Skills 2030. And he's a founding member of the UNESCO Chair on Global Health and Education. His latest book, Questioning Education, Moving from What and How to Why and Who, is absolutely awesome. So we are going to talk about it here today. Welcome, please, Sean Slade. Thank you very much, Nancy. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. It's great to have you. And I, I loved reading your book. Just love, love, love the book. It so aligns with my own work and putting students in charge of their own learning. So all along, I was just going, yes, yes. Oh, and you. I have to say, you had me at Little Prince. Sean begins his book quoting the book, The Little Prince, by Antoine Saint-Exupéry. You point out that Saint-Exupéry raised a series of fundamental questions asking us both about our world and who we are. That's his book. And so your book parallels that theme. And I actually love even the planets, you know, uh, takes me back to that book. But in your case, the subject is the world of education. And I love your call to educational introspection and to move away from the what and then the how to the why and then the who. Would you summarize your thinking here for our listeners, Sean? Yeah, certainly. And thank you very much for this opportunity as well. And if anybody hasn't, I think there might be a couple of people out there in the world that haven't read The Little Prince, but if you haven't, you should. Um, even as an I do adult, think it's, it's required reading for life. Yeah, even as an adult, it's um, definitely worth reading. It's not, not solely or even um, a children's book. But I, the, the premise for the book is I don't believe that we have asked ourselves or continued to ask ourselves about the real purpose of education often or frequently enough. And especially the last, well, most of the 21st century, I think we have assumed that there is somebody else who has answered these questions and there is some other gatekeepers who are looking after education to make sure it's going along the right path. Um, I in my experience, have found that not to be the case, that a lot is assumed and a lot is um, believed that there is somebody else who is in charge of these bigger, wilder, you know, broader questions. And the truth is that um, for the most part, there's not. So in the book, what I'm doing is I'm raising up what I believe is a fundamental question for the sector of education, which is, what are we trying to do? What's the purpose of it? If we're sending our children to um, an education system for 12 or 16 years, then we should at least have a good rationale about why it's there and what it's for. Agreed. And I think that, you know, it reminds me in, in one of my books, I talk about the story of uh, the little girl who sees her mom making a, a ham and you know, the mom cuts off the end of the ham and puts it in the pan and then 
she keeps going to, well, she says, well, mom, why do you cut off the end of the ham? And she goes, well, because my mother always did that. And then she goes, go ask grandma. And she goes and asks her grandmother and her grandmother says, oh, because my mother always did that. Ask your great grandmother. And she says, the great grandmother, why did you cut off the end of the ham? And the great grandmother says, well, because it wouldn't fit in the pan. <laughs> so it's kind of like years later, we've got bigger pans. Exactly. Right. We're still doing and the that's, same. And that's, and that's what, what I've seen in my education experience anyway, over 30 years where we, we do things because we've done them. And that's not to say that they're, you know, intrinsically wrong uh, or inherently wrong. But what it does mean is we have not analyzed or put them in based on a purpose. And so if you look at the way that education's gone, especially in the US the last two decades, it's been a real drive towards academics. There's been a, a myopic narrowing down of the curriculum. Um, there has been accountability measures put in for good intent, but with poor um, unintended consequences of really changing the direction of education. It's gone from, I think, what most people um, uh, believe it to be, which is one of the best vehicles in which you can develop the individual's potential and also help develop future citizens who are ready for the world. And it's become a, um, a tutoring system on steroids, pretty much. Just this morning, I was reading some tweets that are predicting, and, and I think there was an article, I want to say maybe the New York Times, that, you know, because of the pandemic, students are now two years behind and they're reading mm -hmm. in math. And I fear that the response to that is going to be more shoving of reading and math down students' throats. And, and back to the days when uh, we eliminate the arts in favor of having double math classes. And you even point out in your book, and that was one of the mm -hmm. uh, areas where I was jumping up and down with cheers. I think the arts teach you so much about academics and life. That should be an, an executive function. That's a big focus yeah. of mine that, you know, that's the last thing we should be cutting out, you know, cut out math class and teach music and you'll learn yeah. that, you know, like, okay, that perhaps that was a little extreme. No, but, but there was also the case, again, I'm, I'm sort of citing from research or an article a couple of years ago, but there was also the case when a school, I think it was up in the New York area, um, took their funding away from um, school resource officers and put it towards the arts and music. And guess what? They saw a decrease in um, behavior issues and suspensions. Um, the arts is something which really touches on who we are and who we want to be. And so going back to the book, rather than teaching or focusing only on the what, the content, the, the facts, um, the information that you might need to regurgitate for the test in order to get over that hurdle, let's start thinking about who we are educating and who they might become. And so what are some of the best uh, formats and areas and ways for us to actually have people better understand themselves? The arts, all of it fits into that perfectly, um, whether it's music or art or drama or, um, you know, it's it, it touches something and allows the person to grow and allows the person to be a little bit more um, introspective as well. You talk about the the purpose of education, and I'm and I'm thinking we really have um, in America at least, and probably other places around the world, 
we've lost our way from the intent of public education in the first place. Because the purpose of schooling is to educate a country's citizenry, the future of that country. Uh, in the United States, it's funded through individual real estate taxes. But all I hear from people who do not have children in school is why are they paying for other people's children? As though school is a personal improvement service. And even the argument that parents should decide what their students learn in school puts it in the perspective of being a personal service to parents and not the original intent of raising up a responsible reasoning citizenry. I often, I often say, well, you know, 20 years from now, the people who are in charge of your social security, would you like them to be thinking reasoning people? And of course everybody says like, yes. And I'm like, good. So pay for school, you know, like <laughs> put it, yeah. put it in something that's meaningful to them. But what questions would you pose to parents to shift their mindset as to the why of education? I would, yeah, I, I would ask them about what, so I'm, I'm a strong believer that the purpose of education is around developing the, the individual who, who you are, who you may want to be, who you could be, but also the collective who, so who we are, who we want to be, who we potentially could be. Um, so I would ask the parents, you know, who do you collectively want to be? What kind of community do you want to be in? What kind of society do you want to be in? Because these things are developed, yes, they're developed in the home, but they're also developed across the community. And of course, when you have students in a school for six, seven hours a day, the, the norms of that school start to become the norms of that community. Um, all the norms of that community get infused into the norms of that school. You know, just the way that we um, simple things like we will have a student council. Therefore, we believe in student voice to some degree. We believe in a democratic process. Just, you know, we believe that um, you should respect your elders. And so therefore, there is um, differentiation towards the teacher and the principal and so forth. So we're already teaching some of these norms and behaviors in schools. So I would ask the parents, um, yeah, it comes down to what kind of community, what kind of society do you want to live in? Um, and it doesn't mean that every school, and it shouldn't mean that every school is exactly the same. They should be a reflection of their community. Um, you know, there are going to be areas of the country and areas of the world where um, independence and being um, independent and having a strong individual voice and following your own path is going to be key. So how do you actually develop that inside the school? It comes, it comes down to, I think, as you were saying, this is not a, um, an individual, you know, tutoring system for your child only, just like the roads aren't being built for your car only, um, you know, determined on where you want to go on that day. This is a, you know, communal good. So we're putting things out there so that we can live in a more functioning, effective um, you know, collaborative and kind community and society. Yeah, we need to see it as part of the national infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. And not a not a personal service. And I think uh, we, we also have to realize that a lot of things have changed. You know, I hear people say, uh, well, the breakdown of the family and, you know, parents should be teaching their students these qualities, characters, etc. But when I was a child, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. So there was a lot of attention 
available to me at all times. Mm -hmm. But around about the 70s, our country's economic uh, platform shift or landscape, if you will. And it was very hard not to have both parents working. And that's when we started the latch key generation where the kids would come home with a key to yep. let themselves in. Yep. Yep. So if you're in a country where now you, both people, both parents are out working or we have divorced, there's only one parent, that parent is out working, whatever the situation is, our country has changed. And now if we also look at the fact, as I was talking about the internet and the availability of technology and even the fact that in latest infrastructure moves, we're looking to provide internet across the country to make sure that everyone has access, that has to shift things. And it has to make you stop and say, well, now what's our why? Yeah. What you say? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree 100%. I should be, uh, we should be asking it continuously. And that's not to say, like, I, I also don't believe that there is um, the, the raising of the child or the educating of the child takes place in one venue only. It's like, of course, we want families and parents. And of course, they are the, the best educators of their children because they know them best. They know what makes them tick. There's a complete honesty there between um, families and children. But that's also not to say that some of these schools, especially when we're talking about self-efficacy and creativity and problem solving and uh, deliberation and collaboration, these schools are also being taught in the school because they need to. They need to not only so that the child can move into the workforce, but they're, they're being taught so they can move into society. There is this sort of strange understanding that, um, you know, we, we, we believe in democracy and we believe in elections, um, but we often don't practice democracy in the K-12 setting. Mm, yes, we might do class elections or school council, but more often than not, the only thing we, we help the student learn about democracy is learning the facts about Congress and um, the Senate and the House and the you know Constitution. All very good, but you don't take a child who likes basketball at the age of um, 10 or 15 and throw them in the middle of an NBA professional game at the age of 18, they wouldn't know what to do. Mm. Likewise, we shouldn't be taking students who have not practiced and understood democracy and then expect them to be fully-fledged um, members of society. We should, be, we should be allowing them to practice these skills and these understandings through their schooling so that when they leave, at the age of 17, 18, 22, whenever, they're, they're ready. They're not, you know, having to catch up. Because school should be a microcosm of society. And I often argue that the more we try to ban books, control, you know, um, protect students from everything, the less we're actually preparing them to be in a society where people do have differing points and we're supposed to be valuing different points so that we can have discussions, arguments, get to some sort of compromise, et cetera. So sheltering children so that they don't have that um, worldview is not helping them. And then you are simply graduating them out onto the streets and saying, you know, go for it, 
without giving them all that coaching along the way. Yeah, exactly. There was there's some phrase in um, Yong Zhao, the author who I I know wrote a book a few years ago, and he had some. He talked about um, education in China, and you know I'm not even going to try with the um, the Chinese version, but the translation basically means you get all all of these students are coming out of Chinese university um, good at exams, bad at life because they they've learned the facts, but they haven't learned how to deal in the real world. And this brought up the PISA scores that while other countries, and you know, the United States is always worried that they didn't score Mm. the highest, that other countries score higher, you know, such as China, Mm. Singapore, uh, on these tests, but on tests of creativity, the United States blows everybody else away. So it really does speak to what are you looking for? There was, there was one, his, his book, I think it was it, um, 2014 or 2015, yeah, yeah, um, catching right. up or leading the way. And one of one of the nicest little analogies he put in there, he said, "There's one thing that happens in U.S. schools that never happens in um, Chinese schools, but if it did, it would change things dramatically." And it was the talent show. And he said, "Here is something. <laughs> here is something that every child does. Um, every child is passionate about." They can do whatever they want up there. It's their choice. There are almost no restrictions. Um, To them, it's extremely meaningful um, and it's never graded and never assessed. And it's like, so it's like, here is a chance to actually, um, you know, put your uniqueness, your, your who, your creativity out there. And it's something that, you know, probably even if you went back and asked those, um, first year teachers that you were um, talking to that we discussed earlier on, probably most of them would remember their talent show experience or a time when they pushed themselves a little bit more and expressed and showed themselves a little bit more. Those are the things that are meaningful and that probably those are the experiences where, yeah, they, they learn more about themselves and what they can potentially do. And even I remember show and tell in first grade. Mm-hmm. I guess that was preparing me for the talent show later. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the fabulous book you've written, Questioning Education, Moving from What and How to Why and Who. Let's unwrap the learning. Other than the fact that everybody should buy this book, what first steps would you say schools should take in starting to step back and rethink that why? I ask teachers and educators to think back to why they got into the profession in the first place and to answer that question and then for them to reflect and rationalise about whether what they're doing at the moment matches their passion and their desires when they first went into education. And I think for the majority of teachers, they would have some questions about whether Um, you know, what they hoped it would be is actually what they're doing. I think actually, so I think having the teachers ask that of themselves um, is a huge step forward. I then think having conversations in your school or with your peers around, well, what is the purpose of education? Um, And are we succeeding in doing that um, is the next step. And the reason for that is, you need to have this self-reflective conversation with yourself 
But then when you have the same conversation with others, you are going to find a lot of allies, a lot of people with very similar thoughts, very similar questions, um, very similar issues that they may not have thought through. There is, um, well, here's a little anecdotal example. When, when I've given keynotes over the years, I've asked the audience, um, imagine the child at 25, you know, explain to me what that person looks like. And we put it up on a big, like, you know, poll everywhere. So people are tweeting up their answers and their words. The, the words that come up, one, are exactly the same. And one, they're, they're um, exactly the same no matter whether we're talking in New York or Wisconsin or California or Florida or even over in Europe. And secondly, they are these personal traits and citizen traits. They talk about happy, healthy, collaborative, team player, um, employable, compassionate, empathetic, all of these questions or these responses come up. And by doing it that way, we start to show it's not only you that has these um, concerns, it's also all of your school. And guess what? It's also all of this state. And guess what? It's probably all of this country. And so it just starts to move the conversation and the narrative. As I say in the book, I'm not asking for radical change immediately about let's throw everything out. I'm asking for a change in questioning what we do and a different um, perception um, in why we do it. It's a flipping of those, the solar system planets that you mentioned earlier. And it, when you do that, it changes your perspective as to why you're yeah. teaching, but you still can get students to the point point of achieving yeah. all of what is on the standardized test. It's yeah. just you don't take it from your why can't be so they pass the standardized test. Exactly. That is not going to produce results. So exactly. I, I loved your book. I hope everybody out there uh, runs out and gets a copy. Well, of course, runs online and gets a copy, you know, <laughs> uh, questioning education, moving from what and how to why and who. Sean Slade, and thank you so much for being with me here today. Thank you. It was wonderful. We really enjoyed it. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.